0: Matthew this morning, we've been in the book of Matthew for 20 weeks, this is the 21st week, it's a long book. Um, I am loving this, personally, but I always do, and I hope you are too. So we're in Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to hit the end of the chapter. Now you may may be like, Ben, you skipped part of it. No, I didn't. I talked about the John the Baptist stuff weeks ago, out of order, right? And so I'm not skipping it, I'm just not talking about it twice. All right. And so that's so just to remind you of the context here, we have um, John the Baptist is in prison. Remember, he sends his disciples to Jesus because he's a little confused about how Jesus is behaving. Um, He's probably because Jesus is not speaking in a kind of in this judgeful, wrathful way like John the Baptist expected. Jesus gives him the evidence of his messiahship, if that's a word, and then tells him, Don't be offended by me. Or he he says, blessed are those who are not offended by me. And then Jesus begins to speak to these crowds that are gathering around him because he's doing these miracles, and he rebukes them. And he defends John the Baptist, and then he changes gears, which is what we're going to read this morning, with another rebuke and a blessing. And and these two sections are connected, and I'll show you that in just a second. So let's read this, Matthew 11, 20 to 24. Here's what Jesus says says, he says, Matthew writes, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. And here's what he says in verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So the word denounce there is a very strong word. Matthew's telling us that Jesus is not sort of passively speaking to these crowds. And he is being intense. He is being emotional. He is rebuking them in the strongest tone that he can do it with his voice. He's being a little intense. And look at what he's saying. It matches what he's saying. What he's saying is, you have received all this light. I've been hanging out with you people. And doing all these miracles, revealing myself to you, the long-awaited Messiah that you yourselves have been crying out for. And then I show up, and you're like, meh. You raise the dead. Meh. They're impressed. Remember, these are crowds that are gathering around him. They're showing up for the worship service. Because he's impressive. And they've heard stories and he's doing miracles. He's blessing people. And he's speaking with authority that they've never seen before. But what is Jesus upset with? He's upset because they're not repenting. They are enjoying the blessing of his presence without repenting and following him. This word, woe, is not a word we use a lot unless you're Keanu Reeves. Whoa. It's not the kind of woe we're talking about, Okay? It's not a word we throw around these days very often, but it's, it's, this is disaster. This is like pronouncing a curse, woe to you, great disaster or terrible pain. He's not saying woe is coming on you from somewhere else. He's saying I am pronouncing judgment upon you. I am pronouncing disaster and pain upon you because you have rejected my gift. You see how intense this is? He's pronouncing this judgment on the cities in which he's been performing so many miracles and declaring the good news of the kingdom. They have seen the evidence of him being the Messiah. They have heard the accompanying message of the good news of the kingdom is here, but they have not believed. They have been given the light, yet they still foolishly choose to remain in darkness. As far as Jesus is concerned, there's just no excuse for it this is a side of Jesus that we are uncomfortable with. We want Jesus, we like the Jesus who does miracles. We like the Jesus who wants to hang out and forgive our sins. We like the Jesus who heals, who goes to the poor and the lowly and the brokenhearted, and he says, hey, I love you, and I forgive you. And he lifts them up out of the dirt and heals their eyes and raises the dead. We like that Jesus. But we don't. We forget that those blessings come with an expectation, right? It comes with an expectation that we repent and follow Him. And when we don't, we're on the hook for that. He doesn't just say, "Oh well," and move on. He says, "That's not okay for you to do that." So the Messiah has chosen to bless them with the honor of being the people to whom He first reveals Himself. Think about this for a second. This is the Messiah that that generation upon generation has been crying out for. And he says, okay, and he comes. And who does he come to? He doesn't come to the rich and the powerful and those with the power in the society. He comes to the lowly and the broken and the poor. And he says, ta-da, here I am. And they reject him. They say, well, take the miracles, but we don't take you. We'll take the blessing, but we won't serve you. You can come to me, but I won't follow you. This is why Jesus says that it will be worse for them in hell than those in Sodom. This is about as strong a rebuke as I can think of. You know Sodom and Gomorrah, right? It's famous for its debauchery and wickedness. In their minds, it's the worst place. It's the worst city you can think of. Think of the most debauched city you can think of in the world today and that's who Jesus says it will be better for them because he didn't go there. He didn't go to Sodom and perform miracles and teach. Somehow there's a greater level of judgment for those who hear and see that he's good and reject him than for those who don't. There are degrees of blessing in heaven and there are degrees of torment in hell. In hell, the worst torment is not for the unspeakable evils of Sodom and Gomorrah. The things that you think are the worst things, the worst sins in the world, the worst things a person can do, in Jesus' estimation, are not as bad as the person who pretends to be holy and sits and participates and receives the blessings of the church and of Jesus and then rejects him and refuses to follow him, who looks clean And nice and is a good person. To sit and enjoy his goodness and reject him is far worse in Jesus' estimation than what was going down in Sodom and Gomorrah. I thought about talking about what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah this morning, but there's kids here. And there's just a lot of stuff that went down there that I can't even say in front of kids. Just go read the stories. So Jesus—that's what I mean by Jesus has been a little intense, right? <laughs> he, he's making comparisons that are that I would feel weird about making right now. Jesus said this later in the parable of the wedding feast in Luke 12:48. He said, "But the one who did not know and did what de- deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Every still gets beaten, <laughs> right?" But it's a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So it's a scary thing to think about what it might mean for a nation like ours. How long have we enjoyed the blessing of the presence of the church in our nation? And missionaries coming here and missionaries going out from here. A nation that's been given so many missionaries, so many churches, so many great gospel preachers, multiple revivals filled with countless miracles and the abiding witness of the church, yet it now chooses to remain in darkness and reject Jesus as Lord. It's scary. Yet on the surface, we look so good. We look so generous. We look like a shining example of freedom to the world. Yet we reject Christ after all those blessings. And now lately we have all this yet another string of so-called ministers, not only leaving the faith, but loudly and boldly encouraging others to follow them, doing the same thing, taking their the leadership gift that God gave them and using it for the purposes of hell. They'll give an account for that. It's scary, right? Now, How many people will fill our churches, maybe some are even here in this room today, I don't want to be naive, right, that want to enjoy the many blessings and benefits of the body of Christ and yet refuse to actually acknowledge Christ as their king, who want a taste of religion, to be inoculated with the feeling of being sanctified when they're not, to sit In church and enjoy the presence of God without actually wanting to follow him and make him their Lord. Jesus said it. How many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, I lived the American in the American suburbs and attended church in your name? And he'll say, I don't even know who you are. What's your name again? I've never seen you before. You're not on the guest list. You're just pretending. Jesus expects us to walk in the light we've been given. He is not a God who has no expectations of us. We're accountable to it. This is what Jesus is rebuking these cities. Now, I don't know at what level, like how many Christians have to be in these cities for him to say, this city believes in me. I don't know the answer to that. He seems to know. And the most important thing is that he has decided in this case that these cities are not living up to his expectation. So let's move to the next section, which is far more positive. Matthew eleven twenty five. 25. Note that it starts with this phrase, at that time, which thematically ties these two together, okay? It's divided into three statements. We'll just take one at a time. So verses 25 and 26 says, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. I love when Jesus does this. It's like an open letter. He prays to God in front of everybody for their benefit, but it's a real prayer to God. So like you get to listen in, and he's teaching them something, but he's also praying. The Father has concealed the revelation of Jesus from those that are full of their own knowledge and independence. He has hidden Jesus from those that don't think they need a Messiah and are more interested in showing what they know than they are in learning like little children. They're more interested in in being independent and judging what he's doing, putting themselves over it as the judges, or saying, well, I don't really need it, the miracles are cool, But I don't really need this Jesus. Conversely, the Father has revealed Jesus to those that are willing to be humble, teachable, and dependent like a child. The poor, the lost, the broken have a tremendous advantage over everyone else when it comes to hearing and receiving the gospel of Jesus. The rich, educated, and comfortable must become like the poor in order to receive Jesus. We all must become like children. That's Jesus' metaphor. It's not about age or size. Right? It doesn't mean you can age out of being like a child. and It also doesn't mean immature. It means well, what's a child like is dependent. It's humble. A child says, I need someone to feed me. I need someone to clothe me. I need someone to give me a roof over my head. And if, you, if my daddy tells me something is true, I'm going to believe it. It's so why you shouldn't lie to your kids. You betray the simplicity of their faith in you. Don't lie to them about anything. Say, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) Or I'm not going to answer that question, but don't lie. Because that simple faith is a picture of how we are supposed to be with God. Just if you tell me, I'll believe you. Jesus, if you come to my town and you say you're the Messiah and you do these miracles in my life, I will believe you and I will follow you. I'm not going to stand there with my arms crossed and pretend like it's not good enough. Do more. Prove yourself some more. If you'll answer my questions and do this or do that for me, then I'll believe. You're putting yourself in the category of people to which Jesus hides himself from. Is there a judgment worse than that? to be one whom the Father hides from. He says the Father reveals and he conceals. Jesus makes another statement, statement number two of three, Matthew 11, verse 27. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus is talking about himself as the son. So anyone who says Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah has missed this verse. Right? He claims to be the son. He's saying all things, all, thi- all authority, all right, everything that the father has has been given to me. So the father and the son have this relationship, right, that's exclusive to them. Like I know the father and I'm the only one. The Father knows me and he's the only one. We have this exclusive relationship. And guess what? You and I are not in it. We're not in that. He said this is between me and the Father have this exclusive relationship. You and I are completely outside of that relationship with no way to get into it. And that's a terrible place to be because if you're not in that, in that relationship with the Father and the Son, then to not be in that is to, if you exist at all, is to be in hell. To be outside of the Father, because where is the Father? He's everywhere. To be outside of Him is to be in outer darkness. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit hold all the physical and spiritual life that there is. There is no life outside of them. So to be outside of them is to be dead, is to be cursed and lost forever. You cannot buy, beg, or steal your way in. Your goodness is not goodness at all compared to His. You think, well, I'm a good person. I'm at least, I'm at least close to God. What's your goodness? <laughs> it's like holding a candle next to the sun and being like, they're the same. Compared, your goodness compared to His is silly. It's not even worth mentioning. Whatever level of goodness you've achieved, you could be the best of the best among the the the, the greatest among men. Right? The best, the, you're, you're in all the history books as you're the one of the goodest people of all time. You're nothing but a flickering candle next to the sun compared to God. Yet, for one, there is one possible way in that Jesus says in this verse. Right at the end it says, Except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So if the Son invites you in, if the Son reveals and opens the door, then you get to come in. Well, that's pretty good news. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way. You can't buy your way in, but you can walk through the door that he opens for you. And then the third statement. Wrapping this up, verses 28 through 30 it says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. woo I qualify for that. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So for those not too proud, not too full of their own knowledge to learn, not too full of their own voices to listen, not too impressed with their own paltry goodness to bow their knee, Jesus offers this beautiful invitation for those who will come to him as children. Jesus invites them into this exclusive relationship where there's rest. Isn't that a great word? <laughs> like right now, just that one word, rest. Like not just sleep. Sleep but rest for the weary and the heavy laden. He invites them into this beautiful relationship. He opens the door and he says, come find rest and relief from your burden. Jesus holds back nothing from those who have ears to hear. If you don't have ears to hear, he holds back everything. It's not just that you can't see, he won't let you see. But for those who have ears to hear, like children, he invites you in and he holds back nothing. Later in Matthew 23, we'll get there eventually. <laughs> Jesus accuses the Pharisees of putting heavy burdens on people's shoulders that they themselves are unwilling to bear. Jesus is careful to say that there's a yoke, there is a yoke, but it's light. I often over the years, had a hard time with this verse because it didn't seem to match my experience. Right? I mean, seems like the yoke is pretty heavy sometimes. I mean, I take your word for I'm not saying he's lying, but that's not been my experience. So just think about what a yoke is. A yoke goes around an animal's neck so that it can pull a heavy load. Right? You've seen that. It also can go around multiple animals' neck so they can pull an even heavier load. In this case, the yoke is Jesus' yoke, not the yoke of the law. You are not yoked to the law anymore because of Christ. You are yoked to Christ who has fulfilled the law. So picture this for a minute. Like an ox, or yeah, ox is singular, oxen is plural, English is weird. But you got an ox with a yoke and then you got some other thing in the yoke. That's you. Jesus is the ox, and so I try to imagine like a kitten dangling in the yoke that is yoked to the ox, which is Christ. It's the best, maybe a mouse. I'm trying to think of the smallest thing compared to an ox, right? You're not pulling a lot of weight here, okay? You are dangling like a kitten by the neck, flailing around awkwardly in the air, while the ox pulls the weight. It is a tremendous weight that you're pulling. It's the weight of your sin, which is an infinitely heavy weight that Jesus pulls. And you are yoked to him, not to the law. I guess you could say the weight is the law and your failure to meet it. If Jesus did not go away with the law, but in some or do away with the law, but in some ways intensified it in his Sermon on the Mount, how can he say it's light or easy, right? Because it's not that the law goes away, it's that Jesus has fulfilled it. So Jesus carries the burden of the law and our fail, falling short of it with sin on his shoulders. We are yoked to Christ, not the law. We are yoked to the law-carrying Christ, being carried along by his yoke in his strength. If it doesn't always feel light and easy, know that that's, that's not all there is. This is not all there is. Because there's still a yoke. You're still not just free to roam about and do as you please. One of my favorite things to do when my kids were little was to do, like, little projects with them. And, yeah, you can buy these things. I don't know if they still do it, still do it at Lowe's Hardware. It's a little kit with, like, hammer and nails and a little with things and you put it together with hammers and stuff and it's it's super easy and it's easy for the adult that's why I think that's why they do this and so you sit there with your child and you do this thing and you put it together and it feels like you've done work for them and then they, what do they do with it they 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 grab it and they run to their mom or their friends and say look what I made right This cool thing, I made it, I used a hammer, I had nails, I had a saw, I had a screwdriver, I did all these things. And you're standing there like, yeah, you made it, right? This is how it is to be yoked to Christ. It really is true that whatever you're going through really is a light and momentary affliction. Imagine you without that yoke. Whatever you think is hard. Imagine it without Jesus. Whatever burden you carry, imagine it if you were in the dark and not in the light. Imagine if you were one of the ones who has been shut out because of your pride. Who doesn't even know that Jesus is there. Who actually thinks they got it. I got this yoke. It's not that heavy. I'm doing just fine. No, you're flailing around in the dark and you have fooled yourself and deceived yourself into thinking that you can carry this yoke on your own. Jesus would say to you, woe unto you. So what are we to conclude from this? I think two big things. One, it's not enough to enjoy the presence of Jesus, to hear his message, and to witness his power. It's not enough to be near him. You have to follow him. It really is possible to fool yourself into thinking that it's enough to be around the church without actually being a true part of the church as a follower of Jesus. That's a scary, scary place to be. Enjoying the welcoming hospitality of the church is not the same thing as repentance. Because we're supposed to be welcoming and hospitable. Jesus is welcoming and hospitable. He says, all may come. And to enjoy that hospitality and the blessing of that, the blessing of community and all of that, but not follow him is scary. And secondly, followers of Jesus receive his approval and his comfort. That's great news. He's the one who grants both of those things. That's great. You need to remember that. You did not grant yourself his approval. You did not earn his approval. He granted it to you. And if he granted it to you, you can't lose it. Neither is dependent on your goodness, whatever goodness you may think you have, your wisdom, whatever wisdom you may think you have. Hard work or determined effort. Once yoked to Christ, you can't be unyoked. You don't have the strength to do that. You did not have the strength or the power to yoke yourself to him, and you certainly don't have it to unyoke yourself. So if you're in Christ and you're a follower of Jesus, you need to hear that you have his approval and his comfort and the burden is light, and he has locked you in to himself. So relax and enjoy being dragged along by Jesus. (laughs) Flailing and meowing. Sometimes, I don't like this. My kids used to carry our cat. Uh, We used to have a cat that our kids turned into an evil cat because Caitlin would carry him around by his neck. And his body would swing. And he would just hang there. And occasionally, scratcher made him into an evil cat. But this is the picture, right? I want you to get that burned into your skull. Just relax and just enjoy the process of being dragged along, being sanctified day after day, to become more like him. So why don't we pray together? Why don't we stand up? If you're with, if you're with me in person, stand up. If you're at home, if you want to stand up awkwardly by yourself, that's fine too. Your call. I have no idea what you're doing right now. All right. But I want to pray for you. God, I pray for these two groups that Jesus is addressing here. God, first for those that uh, have tasted of his goodness, have heard his word, have seen him. God, I pray that we would not take it lightly. And God, for, for, for any of those here or listening online now or forever into the future, however long this stuff exists. Out there, God, I pray that you would bring your true conviction, that your Holy Spirit would not hide your face from them. But Lord, you would have mercy and reveal yourself once again. God, that you would not close the door, that they would not be like those left outside of Noah's ark as the door closed, that they will be brought in. God, I pray that you would work humility into all of us, that we would bow low to you, that we would submit to and be in awe of your glory, that you have revealed yourself to us. Who are we that you would reveal yourself to us? God, I pray that we would not reject it or take it lightly. God, I pray for those who are heavy laden and burdened, God, that we would come and find rest in you. We would not fight against the yoke, but God, that we would submit to it And enjoy the rest that it brings. And God, we look forward to the day when our rest is made complete when you return. Lord, you come soon. Maranatha, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that you would lift burdens off of people this morning. God, that just the thought of being without you would drive them to you. And that they would bring them rest and peace this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Love you guys. You're the best. We'll see you next week.